0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. Let me tell you my story so you know i spent 20 years in the air force and my first eight years was an enlisted lab tech i was really good lab tech i finished my degree i got my opportunity in the air force to get a commission as an officer and and so that meant i could move up and become a laboratory director so literally august uh sorry july 29th year 2000 i'm an enlisted lab tech uh, E5 in the Air Force been in eight and a half years and I had the opportunity to get a commission become an officer that's a Friday by the way if you look at your calendar in the year 2000 that was a Friday I had a ceremony where they promoted me and I got my little bars on my shoulder to become an officer and, and then that weekend went by and Monday morning officially August 1st I am a second lieutenant United States Air Force and I'm a lab director what was my training to be a lab director weekend to think about it.
0: Okay, and here we are. Good morning. Today, we're with Mark Noon. Mark has excelled in military and civilian healthcare leadership for more than 25 years, spending his early military days as a lab technician. Uh, Mark received a commission as an officer and an immediate promotion to lab management role. Uh, But as is true with many promotions, he entered this new role lacking the skills and training needed to manage others and his department. That experience shaped Mark's career-long commitment to developing skilled leaders. Mark's expertise includes employee engagement, leadership development, inspirational and motivational speaking, teamwork, and creating value and bridging generational gaps in healthcare. He's also the author of Set Up, Timeless Leadership Skills for Your Success. Welcome, Mark.
1: Hey, good morning, Ryan. Thanks so much.
0: for Coming to us from Florida. We just yeah. talked about it. Uh, how is it down there with everything going on?
1: You know, our area is pretty... Um... Pretty calm. Um, I don't think a whole lot has changed. Uh, our, our, our governor just uh, last week put the stay-at-home order like a lot of other states have done, but really just about everything's been essential. So people are out and about doing their thing, but being very cautious too. People are, are keeping their distance as they need to, but still operating life uh, somewhat normal.
0: Are, so everything, are most of the stores and other things closed down by um, you?
1: You know, about half and half. You know, the restaurants are still operational. You got to pick up your food. Everybody keeps their distance, that kind of thing. Things are very clean. We went and looked at some um, uh, some vehicles the other day just because the dealership was open. So we were just out and about trying to kind of get out of the house for a little bit. And they literally took a, a, a can of wipes with them and wiped everything down as anything was touched. So it was very particular, but not necessarily um, keeping
0: everybody away. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So up here, yeah. different story up here. Yeah. We were shut down, uh, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania, so we were shut down uh, two weeks, three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, but everything is pretty much essentially shut down unless you're an essential business. Uh, so we're hopefully everybody's doing the right thing.
1: Well, I think they are within the capability of what they have. And, and I like seeing that people are, are at least thinking about what they're doing and, and uh, being
0: cautious. How do you feel this is going to affect uh, businesses moving forward, especially in a state like us where we're all locked down and, and just no money's coming in?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, the the difficult part is is the immediate. And and if people haven't um, prepared well for that in the past, you know, have a good savings, things like that. I think that's going to affect people, no doubt. I'm actually, I'm not too worried about how it's going to bounce back. It's I think it's going to take time, but I think we're going to, it's almost to me like a reset you know, you, you go to your computer and you reset and you, and you kind of reset as either you go back to the manufacturer's starting point or you go back to where you left off. And I think we're going to go back to where we left off and things are going to pick up really well. Um, but it's going to take some time. People got to be patient.
0: Absolutely. I think it's a good time to actually go, go back and kind of reflect on your business and um, just go through everything.
1: Right, right. I think we're going to plan things a lot differently. You know, I'm going to even look at my speaking business and the things that I do even differently than I have before. You know, I'm not able to go on the road, so I'm not able to do the things I love to do. But at the same time, I think um, I'm going to prepare for things differently in the future, as will many people.
0: Could you give us a little brief uh, background?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I spent 20 years in the the United States Air Force. Uh, I was clinical lab uh, hospital. That's my background. So I spend primarily my time in healthcare organizations. You know, I, I, I mentioned I've been up in, in, in your area, Pennsylvania. to so some different hospitals there as well. and um, All over the country, really. I've been in about 43 different states and a couple of provinces in Canada. And really what our organization is. So I work for a company called The Studer Group out of Pensacola, Florida. Um, that's my main uh, business. That's, that's what I, I've been doing for the last eight years now since I retired for the Air Force. And um, really, we are a consulting coaching organization. But I do a lot of leader development. You know, you mentioned my book set up. Um, it's really about leader development. It's about how do we prepare people for a leadership opportunity or, or leadership roles or those that are already in that role? How do we, how do we continue to enhance their abilities? Um, so I travel all over. I speak uh, anywhere from an hour to, to six hours a day, uh, depending on how many days I'm out. And I love what I do. Love being on the road. Love meeting. And, and, and now even more so, I'm, I'm going to really look forward to get back on the road and, and really begin to pour back into these healthcare workers who have really been uh, stressed out.
0: What have you done with your speaking engagements? Just put them on pause?
1: Yeah, they've had to be on pause. So things that we were going to do in, in March and April, we've had to put off till May, June, July, you know, as things get back up, um, you know, we know that it's going to take some of these hospitals some time to recover. Um, but at the same time, they're going to need some of what we provide at the same time in a way that, that helps them get back to, to a normalcy of, 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 of some sorts.
0: Have you got any feedback from the from the hospitals that you work with on, on their current status and, and morale? Yeah,
1: you know, I've I've I keep in contact with several of them. You know, we have a lot of coaches and consultants who are constantly in contact with some of these organizations. Um for me, ones that I've spoken at in the last six months, I've really kind of reached back to and said, hey. Anything you need from me, anything I can do. You know, we need a webinar set up to help you walk through some of the things. Organization has actually helped people walk through the change management part of it. We actually just produced a video this week uh, on how to work from home. How to best man, you, man, uh, you know, man your time at home so you're not distracted with all these things that go on. You know, you got the dog, you got the kids, you got everything going on. And, and it's so hard to just concentrate. And, and so we produced a video just to let people know how they can help do that more effectively.
0: That's awesome. And, and I, I'm hoping that as we move forward and everything's back to normal, that um, maybe we can realize that you can work from home. Maybe a little mixture of, of working from home and at the office.
1: Well, I think we are. I think we're going to see things. And, and this is where, uh, you know, I, I think uh, um, I'm, I'm not necessarily don't use the word excited but, about what's going to come out of this. But I'm, I'm interested to know how much differently we're going to do business and how much better and more efficient we're going to be. Um, you know, I already work from home, um, but at the same time, I have to be on the road to do my job fully. But we've also realized that there's a lot of video stuff, just like we're doing right now, using Zoom, using Skype, using lots of different tools to still reach out to people and and help them through whatever that's going on.
0: So you talk about something that's important to me and it's culture. Um, Culture is so important. It can ruin your company if it's, if it's bad. Um, How do we, how do we realize, first of all, how how important is culture and then number two is how do we um, see when somebody is in your organization that is just not good for your culture? How do we find them right away?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and 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 here's what I, I tell people now through this whole uh you know uh COVID nineteen thing is, um you really know what your culture is through what you've gone through and how your your organization has reacted. I was with a um, we coach uh, part of my my one of my other businesses at ventures is Leadership Ten, which is an organization we've started locally in Florida to, to coach and mentor uh, young professionals. And one of those young professionals and I had a conversation recently about. What his team did as soon as this whole thing hit and he works in a bank and they've had to kind of close their doors and only allow like one person in at a time and they have to have an appointment. And he said what he realized was how much his company took care of the people who were working there. That was their first priority. It wasn't the bottom line dollar. It wasn't the customer. It was actually the employee. And that says a lot about their culture. It says that the the people are important. So I think the identifying part of a culture is, is really found through that crisis or through things that happen. Now, you can talk about your values of an organization, which are kind of the, the, the foundation of your culture. But if you don't live that out every day, if the, the, the values are things that the sign that hangs on the walls and, and sort of doesn't walk in the halls kind of thing, that's that tells a, a big difference. For me, culture is about the setting. I call it the setting. It's the environment that we've created. What have we put in place so that people know this is our culture. If we are taking good care of the customer and service is important, what are the things that we put in place to ensure that people are focused on service? Um, you asked about how do we know who's the right fit in a culture? And, you know, that takes time to develop. Um, I used to work with organizations who, you know, they, they, they say this is what our culture is and it's what they want their culture to be, but they haven't quite got there. So you've got to develop that culture and then begin to hire people who fit that culture really, really well.
0: Do you think that if, if somebody's within our organization and, and they did, right now they're just not a good fit, they don't fit the culture, can we can we train them? Can we mold them to, to meet our needs?
1: I think absolutely. I, I think the number one thing you want to do is take the people you have and make them better. Um, you know, it's expensive. Turnover is expensive. To get rid of somebody, good or bad, is expensive. You still have to find somebody to replace them. So if we can train the people we have to get to the point they need to be, I think that's a win. And, and we find this... When we have conversations with those people who maybe don't fit our culture or or are toxic to our culture, we hear those terms, I think the first thing is we go and we coach them and we give them an opportunity to say, hey, here's where we're going. We want you to be a part of this. And they can make that choice to go along or not to. And then it usually, statistically, 50-50. 50% 50 want to go with you and 50% are against it. And those are the 50% that we have to work with and say, okay, either we're going to do it or you need to find another place
0: to be. For my company, I own a painting company, and usually yeah. our busiest times in the summer, it gets a little crazy. There's never right. enough help. Um, right. And in times like this, you know, uh, the convenience stores up here don't have enough help. Everybody's trying to find yeah. somebody who just wants to work. In those times of craziness, can you bend that culture a little bit just to keep everything going?
1: You know, I I always say this. I never fault any leader, any any company owner, CEO, whoever, from making a decision that they need somebody in order to fulfill the, the needs of the customer or the needs of the people. I never would fault them. I'd have never criticized them. It's a tough decision to make. I think the right decision to make is to have the right people there, no matter what that does to the business or what it does to the, to the organization. I think having the right person, I, I've said this before, and we work with hospitals. If you've got a uh, let's say a, a doctor who's a, 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 you know an orthopedic surgeon, let's say, as an example, who brings in a lot of revenue to a hospital, a great need in a community because you've got a lot of elderly population maybe that need hips and knees and, and, and you've got lots of sports going on in, in an area or a university where you've got lots of um, athletes who, need, who have injuries. Having that person as part of your organization is essential to your business. But at the same time, are you losing other people around the organization because that person doesn't fit the culture? So your, your costs that you're gaining, you're losing by losing all these good people who are surrounding you. So I don't fault any leader for making that decision, but I think the right thing to do is to to find the right people or get rid of the wrong people.
0: Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, something we've lived here. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, you, you get so desperate in, in, those, in those desperate times when you're so right. busy that you right. just bring in anybody and uh, it never works. Um, well,
1: it, it's a, I mean, unless you've got a really strong culture to begin with and you bring in somebody like that who has no choice but to fit into your culture, it, otherwise they're not going to feel in, at, at home or in place. Um, but that's a rare organization, I think, that has it.
0: What in your mind makes a, a, a good leader or a great leader? What's the difference?
1: Um, you know, there, there's so many answers to that question, probably. That's probably, that's a wide open, I mean, there's so many <laughs> versions of that. You know, for me, it's about the relationship that they have with the people they work with. You know, I, I, I teach this, and it's in my book, and it's articles I've read. Harvard Business Review did an article about four or five years ago, where they said, these are the elements of a great leader, and and number one is is somebody who has a regular conversation with their employees, and and we call it rounding in our business at Studio Group. We have a regular monthly conversation with that employee talking about good things that are happening, talking about the making sure they have everything they need to do their job. Number two is, is having um, a daily or a, at least a weekly, just a general conversation, just a, hey, how's it going? Tell me how your weekend was, that kind of thing. The third one in there is. Um, ensuring that we get back to people as quick as possible. And typically it's 24 hours. Honestly, that's what this, the statistics say is 24 hours. If, if you send me a message and I'm your boss and I don't get back to you in 24 or, or at least 48 hours, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Oh, Mark's ignoring me. I'm not important, I'm not valuable. You know. And then the fourth thing, and this is really important for our, our Generation Y millennials and, and Generation Z that's coming up behind them, is expectations. We've got to set what the expectations are for the job. There's, it's so important for everybody, but especially for that 35 years old and younger age group, which is typically the millennial and, and generation Z. So those are the four things that I find are the most essential elements of being a great leader.
0: How do I, how do we, I or we um, notice somebody who can be cultivated as a leader in our, in our company?
1: I think number one is their willingness to be coached or to listen that they don't come in thinking they know all they have all the answers. Um, it's interesting that, that we've coached in this organization that I have locally, we've coached some young professionals anywhere from the ages of 23 all the way up to, to 45. And, and that's a broad range. And one of the things that we were most concerned with with, with some of the younger age folks is their willingness to learn and, and to grow. I think as we mature, we realize how much we don't know and we're more willing to listen. But that age category—that's kind of my children's age or mid twenties. That's where I go. Okay, are they willing to listen? Number one, are they willing to be coached? And I think that's the ones you say, okay, I can work with that person.
0: Mm. I think uh, in a lot of people's minds, everybody always thinks that everybody wants to be in charge. Uh, That—that's always the top of the top of the goal for everybody. But that's not really true. Um, is it okay not to want to be the leader? And, and
1: yeah, I think so. Um, you know the, there's this career progression that people have, and and what i what I love about career progression that we can do differently is we can make multiple tracks that people can go on a career progression. I saw this happen in the military when I was um, about halfway through my military career. It used to be that in order to get promoted, you had to follow the the commander track. You had to be a, like a commander at some point in order to get promoted. And they realized that, you know, there's a lot of people that just enjoy doing their profession, doctors and nurses and dentists, Because you know, I was in a hospital who loved doing that, but yet they couldn't get promoted unless they got out of their specialty and moved up to a command role. And the Air Force said, you know what? That's not fair. So let's make two career tracks. You can become really good at your job as a colonel or as a dentist and become a colonel, or you can become a commander dentist and, and, and still and be, become a colonel. So it was it was that. And I think that's where organizations need to allow people a different career track um, it doesn't always mean you have to be the supervisor or the manager or the director and move your way up
0: and what we found is when we when we promote too quickly um, mm-hmm. some of those people don't want to be that leader yeah um, and it, it pushes them right out of the company
1: right right <laughs> not only do they not want to be it or the ones who have been there a long time love what they're doing and don't necessarily want to be the manager or the director yet we say okay, Ryan, you've been here the longest, you have the most experience, you need to be the leader. And although that may be true, and and you might be very capable of it doesn't necessarily mean you want to. And I've told people who have been in a leadership role, you know what, if you're not willing to move forward and continue that leadership role and go the way the company is going, there's nothing wrong with stepping back into a a previous role and say, you know, I'm good just doing this job every day, because I love it. And I'm going to continue to be good at it.
0: Mark, what have you done when you've gone into a company and you found out that the actual leader is the issue, uh, with 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 cult? Co- I'm sure you have with yeah. culture and um, and issues. How do you how do you address that and and change yeah. that?
1: Yeah, you know, everybody wants to blame the boss and, and sometimes it is the boss who, who is the problem. Sometimes it is the CEO or the, the, the top uh, executive leaders. And, you know, we, we, when we work with an organization, it's, it's always the executive leadership team first. We always spend time with them because I think that's important. And if they're not willing to move forward and do the things that we know are the right things to do, then we know we're not going to be very successful. And I've worked with some of those. Um, it's the CEO says, OK, Mark, we want you to come in and consult and coach with us. But take care of my people. I'm going to be over here doing my own thing. That doesn't work. Um, So I have to have a conversation with that leader and say, hey, this is the only way this is going to work. And, and, you know, sometimes they say yes and sometimes they don't. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to continue to help the organization, but I know what the results are going to end up being. I think the other thing is is helping them to be self-aware. You know, one of the very first things we teach in any leadership course is self-awareness. Do you know yourself well enough to know what your strengths are? And, and where you need some help and some opportunities. And, and if we don't start there, I don't think we're gonna get very far with most
0: leaders. Do you get any pushback when people know that you're, you're coming in to, to kind of reformulate some things? Oh yeah. Far, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One, one, it's the people who we've always done it this way. It works for us and, and we don't have, you know, it's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And, and we know that we use this example that if you're not getting better faster than the other guys getting better, you're actually getting worse. You know, if you think a company like yours, a painting company, right? So if you're not continually improving the way you paint, the people that you have, somebody else is going to do that and they're going to be the ones who are going to move on. And even though you've stayed status quo, which might be 90% success, 90%, they're moving to 92 and 95 and 98 and all of a sudden everybody's going, well, they're higher rated than yours is. I'm going to go with that company instead of yours. Even though you're good, you're really good, right? That's the frustrating thing I think is we get to 90% satisfaction of our customers. We say, wow, we've, we've arrived. Well, as soon as we start, you know, leveling out, everybody else is going to move on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you you told me you've been all across the country, obviously and in, 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 different countries. Yeah. Um, what are the differences in, in the different types of leadership skills and styles that you, that you've seen?
1: You know, I, I don't think I've seen any, and, and people ask me this a lot coming out of a military background. They always assume a military, Environment and culture is different than the civilian world, and it and it really isn't. I mean, there's things that you know. If if you work for me in a military culture, I can tell you to do it, and you're going to do it. In a civilian world, I've got to kind of convince you to do it to get you to do it because you know it's not necessarily that I can I can fire you in the civilian world, but I can't fire you in the military world or vice versa. Um, So there, but there's very much similarities I think in, in in leaders. Our leaders in, in all environments. And I work primarily with healthcare, but I also work with a lot of other industries along the way too. And to me, they're all the same. People are people. The people inside the military world are looking for the same things that people outside the military world are. You know, I've, I've, I've watched the TV the last uh, couple of weeks, you know, we've had some of the military leaders on television talking about some of the things and the operations they're doing, and I love it. I love the kind of that command and we're gonna do this and we're gonna, we're gonna take care of business. But at the bottom line is, those people are the same as the ones who are, are doing the work in the hospitals and civilian world all over. So very
0: similar. Um, I have a question. Uh, so yeah. the leadership at, at, you know, at work, wherever your office, you're, you're giving orders all day long, you're directing, yeah. you're instructing, right. how do you, how do you shut that off before you get home? So at, at your home you're not doing the same thing and maybe I'm guilty of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we all are. I think we all take some of that back and forth. Right. Um, my kids will tell you that they uh, they felt like they grew up in a little bit of a military environment. Obviously, <laughs> you know they lived on base, so they saw that all the time. But I think sometimes Dad acted like that, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more than he needed to. And not that I was all this real military kind of guy, but uh, um, I think there's parts of that characteristics that just are developed over time. I think one of the things about working from home right now for a lot of people is they're going to see the difference. They're going to see they're going to have to shut off. You know, when I walk out my office door it's not the same as when I'm inside my office doing business. And I think people are gonna see a, a big change in how they, they view that. I think the other thing is having a conversation with your family, with your, your spouse, whoever, to say, okay, let me know when I'm bringing too much work home or when work starts to affect what's going on at home and, and have that honest conversation. I tell my kids all the time, and, and they're older now, they're in their 20s, so when they, but they see things that they go, dad, that, that isn't right. I need them to let me know that that's not right. And and not from a way of of saying, you know, you know, trying to trying to find things that are wrong. It's just me saying because they're adults now, you know what? I don't I want to be a better father and someday a grandfather. And here's the things I need to change about myself.
0: Mm, it's tough. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do find myself at home. Uh, kind of dictating where everything should just, just as I do at work. Uh, right, so.
1: right. <laughs> I've had my kids tell me over the years, hey, dad, you're not at the office. You know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I forgot.
0: <laughs> communication, obviously, communication is, is key yeah, yeah. in anything in your relationship at work. Do um, right. so the companies you work with have have an open door policy on, on communication or is it is it more regimented?
1: Yeah, you know, that's that's a open door policy is one of those things I talk about a lot. You know, um, when I talked about those four elements of great leaders from that Harvard Business Review article, it was all about communication. Those four things. Um, Communication, open door policies are really great because they allow you access to your boss. The problem with the open door policy is when's the last time somebody came to your door, open door and said all the great things that are happening in your department or your organization? That never happens. Right. It's always, hey, you got a minute, I got to talk about blah, 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 whatever's going wrong, or this person who's not doing what they need to do. And so open door policies become this open door to complain, communicate you know, the negative things. And that's okay, I mean, we need to have that, that opportunity. But where I look at the proactive part of communication is do I go outside my office and I go to I go to Ryan's area and I say, hey, Ryan, let's have a conversation. Tell me the best thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks here in the department. When's mm-hmm. the last time somebody asked you that kind of question, right? And so we don't think that way. And then we even push it further and we say, after that, I say, Ryan, who's the who's working really hard? Who's doing the extra, going the extra in our business? Tell me about that person and what you really appreciate about them. So we're looking for recognition. We're looking for communication that is very positive. And then we make that public. We say, hey, I want to let you know, you know, Ryan was mentioning so-and-so doing this and what an impact it had. And maybe we send him a thank you note or maybe we publicize it in a newsletter or we have a huddle, a big meeting with the team and we say, hey, here's the good things that are going on. And when people start to see that you get a lot of less of that open door communication complaint type of of element.
0: How do you redirect the, the, that everybody has that one person, or maybe they have 10 people who are just, just negative uh, all the time and everything, every time you see them, it's a complaint or they need something else or they don't have enough or the equipment's Mm -hmm. not good enough. How do you, how do you deal with that person?
1: Well, again, that takes time. You know, most cultural changes, they say statistically take six to eight years in in a larger organization. So that's a long time. And people say hear that and they go, oh, well, is it even worth it? Well, it certainly is. But number one is is changing the way you ask the questions about things. So getting going for that, that positive interaction, looking for what's working well, getting that negative person to say, OK, I understand that we got some situations and we're going to work on those and things are going to get better. But in the meantime, I want you to look for something positive that's going on. I want you to tell me the next time I come and have this conversation, I want it to be what's working well and who do we need to recognize for doing a good job. And when we start to change that mindset, I think that's when we'll start seeing a lot less of those complaints. Plus, if I'm asking you, if I'm going proactively to you and saying, hey, Ryan, you have all the tools and equipment to do your job. And you say, well, no, I really need this new paint sprayer or something, whatever. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. You know, in, in your mind, you're probably thinking, oh, it's too expensive or this one's going to, you know, I got to duct tape this one a few more times and get through a few more jobs or whatever. But in reality, it might not be that big a deal. And, and so when you present it to me and I go, well, let's see what we can do. And then we go and we investigate and all of a sudden we get that tool or we get that new piece of equipment. And you're like, wow, I ask Mark for something, he at least tries to get it. And hey, if we don't get it, we can't get it. It's too expensive. It, it doesn't fit our needs. We'd only use it on one job, but we'd never use it on other jobs. Well, here's the reason why we can't do that. And, and coming back, and that's where we, we come back to people and we say, you know what? Great idea. Um, maybe for the future, but here's why we can't now.
0: What, what do you love so much about helping businesses and people?
1: You know, I, I love to see the, the impact and the growth. I love when I go to an organization like this, like I'll go back to some organizations a year later and they'll say, oh, we've improved in this. Or I had one organization, a great little hospital in Arkansas that I coached for a while, and they went from 43 percent to 63 percent in employee engagement in, in, in just three years. Um, their, their community changed. I had a call from a bank president in that little town who said, hey, Mark. We've heard some great things about what you're doing at the hospital. Can you come work with our bank? Because I think we could use some of that same stuff. When I hear that, and this is coming from a, you know, so he's the CEO of a bank. He's called the CEO at the hospital and said, hey, what are you guys doing different? Because we're noticing this difference in the community. Those are the things that make me go, wow, I think we really, really had an impact. And then what that does is then we see also the results in the hospital. They had higher patient satisfaction scores. They had better outcomes outcomes for patients. Patients got healthier, quicker. They didn't stay in the hospital as long. All those things are compounded. That's what makes me smile when I get up in the morning.
0: (laughs) That's nice. Well, you definitely have a passion. I can, you, you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: I love what I do. I love helping these folks and I love being a part of it too. And I love learning and growing from them and seeing what they do. Wonderful. And share that with other hospitals.
0: Is there ever a client? I say client as a company, uh, that just isn't a good fit for you guys.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, we've we've had organizations that we've gone in and and just like the example I said earlier, the CEO says, "Okay, you guys go do that. I'll be over here doing my thing." And and we, you know, after a certain period of time, we go, you know what? Um, We're just not going to be able to be successful here unless we make these changes. And and if they're not willing to make those changes, then we have actually backed out and said, you know, uh, we're not going to be able to move forward, and it's just going to be a waste of of money for you and, and time for us. And that's a hard thing to do because again. Uh, it's your bottom line. It's it's but it's also about the values of the organization. The values of who we are in saying We want to make a difference. We want you to make a difference and if we're not gonna work together on this It's just not a good fit.
0: Mm. Um, hiring hiring uh-huh. That's our uh, that's our sore point. Yeah uh, it Used to be a couple years ago that you know, we would put an ad out and you would get you know 150, 150 people apply Wow. Uh, now, before the virus started and yeah. the pandemic, uh, it was down to maybe ten to fifteen people. So mm-hmm. things were good uh, for everybody. Obviously, everybody was working. Yeah. Now we've hit everybody. There's a lot of unemployment. Mm-hmm. Are, are you going to see a big shift and a big turnover and people going to different companies? And uh, what what do you think the outlook's going to be?
1: You know, I think there's some some truth to that. I think that people will will say, okay, I haven't been working for this company for a while. I didn't take a chance on moving out of this company to another one before. Here's my opportunity to do that. I think hiring's gonna go right back to where it was. I think the the unemployment rate's gonna drop right back to where it was before and even lower. Um, And and, you know, that's a positive thing from the perspective of an economy, that you're having a hard time getting workers because everybody's, um, so number one, Reason to is to have a great culture. People want to work for you versus going somewhere else. You know, if you haven't struggled getting people, then sometimes I tell organizations maybe we need to look internally and say, is there something about this company that people don't want to work here? And and let me tell you, it's not about the dollars. It's not about how much you're paying. It's about the environment that, that people work in. That's that's that setting and that culture. I think we're going to see people um, change areas. Absolutely, I think we're going to see a shift in in the way that people do business. Um, People realizing they can do things from home, and, and they they come. Obviously, you can't paint from home, so you've got to go out on the job site. But I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that there are other parts of your elements of your business that could be done from home or or did telecommute, where people drive here, spend a little time on site, and then they're back home doing their thing. And I think we're gonna see a big shift in that. And when companies adapt to that, I think they're gonna be the successful ones at this point going
0: forward. Nice. And we've made a big push on virtual estimating. Yeah. Um, there's no reason that you can't do an estimate like we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, hopefully that brings a little change to our industry. That's basically our industry. I feel is stuck in, you know, 1960.
1: Well, that's a great point is so many of them are, and we're being kind of forced to, to get out of our comfort zone in that way. I told you, I was looking at some vehicles the other day and, and, you know, we are only allowed to look at so many vehicles because they're trying to keep things sterile and clean and, and they said, hey, here's something we're doing now. You call me and we'll do a virtual. We'll just set up the camera and we'll go in and we'll look at these different features in the vehicle. And we'll show. So you don't have to drive you know, to the lot to go do that. Well, you know, for some people, that's a big plus. Maybe that's a way they're going to do business differently. They're going to allow people to virtually look at things instead of having them come into the, to the showroom, so to speak.
0: How do you feel about a virtual interview for, for a job position?
1: You know, I think I see that so much more because of the fact that, pe- I mean, even when I started at student Group eight years ago, it was all virtual because I was living in, in Arkansas at the time. I was stationed at Air Force base in Arkansas. Um, the companies in Florida. The people who were interviewing me were in California and Ohio and different places. So everything was virtual for me. And um, until I got to the very final, then I had to travel to the, to the site to be able to do the final interview. I think virtual is a great way to go. My, my youngest daughter just graduated with a master's and she's now in the job hunt. And it, unfortunately this whole situation happened in the middle of her job hunt. So she, things are a little slower, but she's done virtual interviews already because th- the jobs are, you know, 200, 300, 400 miles away. So why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. Especially video where you can actually see facial expressions and gestures and things like that, I think are very important.
0: The whole, the whole interview process. Are there any tips you can give us? um, to make it an effective one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think number one is, um, the type of questions that we ask people. Are they experiential questions or what if questions, you know, it's like, Hey, what would you do in this situation? And somebody makes up a great answer of what they read in a book that they're supposed to do. Well, that sounds great. Okay. Now give me an example. When that happened with you, give me an example. When a customer did this, how did you react and what was the outcome? So those very behavioral based questions, I think are number one. Number two, I think, especially the size of depending on the size of the organization, is to do what we call peer interviewing. So if you're thinking about hiring somebody in your organization, and you and a couple of your your senior um, folks, whoever they are, whether they be technicians, painters, whatever their role is, they come into the interview process. So even if it's virtual, it might be multiple screens on the on, and you're all asking questions, and you're all seeing that interaction with that person. And then the number one thing is coming to a consensus that all three of you or five of you, or however many agree that this is the right person. And Mm. if one of you says no, then we move on to the next candidate. Here's the reason. If you do the hiring, Ryan does the hiring, and the people that are working with that person don't like them, they're gonna blame you. And they rightfully should. If all five agree and that person, for whatever reason, doesn't work out, then we all go, well, we missed it here somewhere and we're all taking some of the heat on this, right?
0: That's a great so behavioral-based
1: interviewing and peer interviewing, where we're 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 coming together as a group.
0: All right, could you talk about your book a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let me just uh, put up a quick plug right there. There awesome. it is, right? <laughs> um, so the book was developed as a as a leader development tool. Um, you know, when I and you read this, in my bio a little bit. When I became a, a, an officer in the Air Force, which means I, I moved into a leadership role. So I'm a clinical lab tech. That's what I did. I did all the day-to-day work in a lab and. I finished my my undergraduate degree in the Air Force gave me this opportunity to become a lab director. And literally on, on Friday, on a Friday, I'm a I'm a lab tech. I'm I'm working the bench and then I have this ceremony and I get promoted and all that. And Tuesday, the next week, I show up at my first assignment as a lab director, as an officer. And I say this, I say, what was my training to be a lab director? A three-day weekend to think about it. That was my training, right? I mean, I didn't really have a lot of training. It wasn't a preparation. And so I set out on this journey, that was that was more than 20 years ago now, and I set out on this journey to say, you know, what does it take to, to, to step into a role of leadership? I say it like this, if I'm promoting you, Ryan, do you have to step up to the role or can you simply step in? And if people are well-prepared or at least as well-prepared as we can make them, they're going to be able to step into that role a little bit more effectively. Doesn't mean they know everything, doesn't mean they have it all, but we promote people because they're really good. We say, you're a really good painter. You've been fun to work with. Let's make you the leader. And all of a sudden they're leading a crew of painters. And does that really qualify them? Not necessarily. Doesn't make that mean that they're going to do a poor job, but are they truly qualified? So the book is designed with eight different elements that I think are the essential foundations for becoming a great leader.
0: That's your first book. Yeah, it is. How, How did you, how did you just, you know, wake up one day and decide to write a book? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well I don't know if I woke up one day to do that I, I it was a long process you know i I've heard people say this my my my, my book is uh, you know it, it took 15 years to to write in the sense of all the experiences and all the things that that I've done in in life to be able to get to that point um I, I started writing it actually several years ago I put a lot of elements into it and then you know you try to find a publisher and that doesn't happen and Finally, I just um, you know, put it on the back burner for a while. I, I would teach out of it. I would speak from it, but I wouldn't, I never got published. And then about two and a half years ago, my company, who does some book publishing, do about two books a year, they said, Hey, Mark, we need a book along these lines of what we've heard you speak about. And, you know, can we develop this? And really, about six months, it was, you know, from start to finish, it was done, although the, the, you know, the
0: foundation of it was already written. Oh, nice. Yeah. What do you remember the day it was released?
1: It was uh, July of 2018. I don't remember exactly the day, but uh, it was, you know, I had just gotten a big box of the books in that week and it was just fun to, to open it up and see, wow, there it is. It's actually in print, you know, and um, it's, a, it's an exciting feeling to know that you've had that kind of an accomplishment. But I also look at it and I go, you know, it's not a real thick book. It would probably take you three full hours to read if you, you sat down from start to finish. Um, but it's 15 years in the making to get to those three hours. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot.
0: <laughs> did, did it give you the itch to, to, to do it again?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm actually starting on the the next uh, book or two. Um, I've taken some of the chapters that are in there that are a little smaller, and I'm going to expand them out into more of a a kind of a mini book, probably a 50 to 60 pager, just simple little tidbit books on delegation and motivation and culture and things like that.
0: And how can how can uh, your book uh, now help Mm -hmm. a business?
1: So number one is if you're already a leader and you're struggling, I think there's some elements in there that will really help, uh, especially in the area of delegation and motivation. Those are things that people really struggle with. Um, the, number two is if you're looking to promote some people and you're saying, okay, here's three people that I want to promote at some point in time, this is the book they need to read so that they can start building that foundation. So again, when I get ready to promote them, they can step in and not have to step up. Um, those are the two elements I think are really, really important. The third one is is when you um, you're a senior leader, let's say, and you're you know you've got a bunch of people who are new to the organization or new to the job, and and you give them that opportunity and and let them read that just to kind of build on this, some of the skills they already have. Mm.
0: And how how did you get involved with uh, speaking public speaking?
1: So um, you know it's interesting you say that because I just shared this story with a group of, of young professionals just recently. A kind of a pivotal moment in my life when uh, way back in the late '90s, uh, I was stationed in Hawaii as a, as an Air Force member, and this is just before I got my my uh, uh, opportunity to become an officer and get, and get promoted. And and I gave this speech in front of this one particular audience. I'd actually auditioned for it, and I, I won the opportunity to give this speech. And it was in front of a lot of senior leaders on the Oregon on the base and. And it was one of those moments that was a pivotal in the sense that I gave this speech and and it resounded really well. I had lots of compliments. The base commander sent me a handwritten note, which literally is still on my desk today. This is 20 years later. Um, And that really kind of catapulted me into this opportunity. Um, So I started emceeing and doing a lot of stage events throughout the Air Force. And when I got ready to retire, I knew of this group in, in Pensacola, which is not very far from me. And I said, hey, I'd like to continue doing this you know, outside the Air Force, you have opportunity, and they did. And so I started out more in the consulting and then moved into full-time speaking from there.
0: What would you say, uh, what could you tell somebody else who wants to get involved with speaking? Do you have any any great tips for them?
1: Yeah, number one is to build the foundation, to have the stuff ready to go. Um, don't expect that somebody's going to call you and say, hey, come speak at this event, and then you come up with the material. I think having material ready, even now as a professional speaker, I have new material I'm working on all the time. This whole being stuck at home thing, I'm working on new material. I've got to have it ready to go so that when somebody says, hey, come speak, we've already heard you speak before. We, don't, we want something new. I'm already prepared for that. So number one for a new speaker, be prepared, have the stuff ready, start doing some um, small engagements locally, maybe for free. Um, and then, or maybe publish some articles, get an opportunity to be on a podcast with somebody like Ryan Amato or whoever else, just to get the word out there that you're available.
0: You partly answered my next question because I was going to say, <laughs> I'm sure you're goal oriented and you're prepared, um, before the, the pandemic, um, what were your goals for, for this year? And, and now what are your goals for this year?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a tough one to change. The goals is always hard because you you it's literally a full two months at least that I, I may not be on the road. So you you that's you know one sixth of your entire goals for the year. Um, my goals were to, my goals every year are to be in at least 60 organizations speaking. So that's at least one to two a week, uh, and and that's with some breaks. And December is usually pretty light because wow. of Christmas things like that. But about 60 events a year that's always my goal. Um, could I still do 60 events this year? I probably could, but it'd be three a week to get caught back up to that. So I'd probably modify that down to 45. Um, but it's also about, um, new material for me I really do need new stuff. So my goals have shifted to doing more new stuff so that I'm better prepared to expand my audience even into 2021.
0: Nice. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, speaking.
1: It is, but I love it, you know. And 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 sometimes that's an hour, and sometimes that's an all day. I did I did an event in in Michigan uh, uh, last summer where I spent nine days, not in a row, but nine days at one organization doing all day speaking. So that's nine events, but it equals out to about uh, um, forty events if you did it one hour at a time, uh, you know, throughout different organizations. So it's a lot, but I love it. I absolutely love what I do, so it doesn't bother me at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Mark, what are you what are you great at? What would you say you're great at?
1: Um, you know, I think I'm good at, at um, groups of people. I, 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 a group of people in front of me is where I really connect to an audience. I have a, um, I really focus on connecting to the audience well um, to make sure that they feel like I'm in the audience. So if I've got... You know, like I told you, I was at one of the hostels up there in, in, in Bethlehem area, your, your area, PA. And there was probably about uh, 250 people in that audience. And, and, and I get off the stage. I get out to the tables. I start to use people's names. I start to connect them into my stories. I think that's what I do really well is connect people to what the subject is and make them feel like they're in the story that I'm telling. So they feel like they learn and they grow more.
0: Is there something you want to be better at?
1: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, honestly is for me is one-on-one conversations is where I struggle as, a, you know, as a speaker, I get up on a stage and I can, I can do it all right. I, I can, I can, I can use every gift and, and every talent I get one-on-one or, or a couple people in a room. And, and it's, I, I don't have that, that same sense of ability to connect to people. And it's just an area that I, I work on and I get better at. And, uh, you know, you'd think it would go the opposite way, but when you know, some people are really good at that one-on-one and you put them on a stage and they freeze and I'm totally opposite.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I don't, I don't get that from you. I was just about to, I was thinking in my head that this is the my, the most direct and um, functional, if that's the word, uh, interview I've ever done. It's what's it, only 40 minutes and you've answered every question and, and.
1: Well, thanks for that. And maybe no. so. Maybe my, my, my working at it, getting better at it is good, uh, you know, but uh, maybe and maybe I'm thinking there's a broader audience here behind you. That's what I'm looking at. I don't know what it is, but uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Sure. <laughs>
0: what, what could you tell a business owner right now, a small business owner? Uh, you know, obviously we're struggling, mm-hmm. can't work. It's going to yeah. change. It's going to turn over and it's going to go back to normal. But what do you tell them now? Yeah.
1: You know, I, I think number one is is just be patient. Um, It is absolutely, I I believe 100% it is going to turn around and it is going to be what I call not back to normal because I don't want to go back to normal. I want to go back to super normal. I want to be better than it was before. I want businesses to operate more effectively. I want them to engage their people more effectively. I think now is the time because maybe they have lost some people is to look at hiring the very best people they can find. And if they're the person looking for a job, if that person out there is listening, is looking for a job, they need to be the best person they can be to know the organization they're trying to get hired to and know that they're a good fit for it.
0: Awesome. Well, Mark, so, I appreciate it. You're awesome.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. My pleasure to be here.
0: I think it'll definitely help out uh, businesses and people and anybody yeah. looking for a job or, or make, want to make a change. That's um, yeah. all appreciated.
1: Good. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime I, I can I can be a part of an organization out there helping, uh, I'm glad to do it. So um, com if you want to get a hold of me. And I don't know if that stuff will probably be on your website as well, but uh, I'm yep. happy to come help.
0: Absolutely. We'll throw all your links up and let them know Good. where they can find the book. And I, yeah. I, I wish you luck and everything.
1: Thanks, Ryan. Thanks so Thank much. Have so a great much. week. All me right, too. buddy. Take care.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my podcast, If you're looking for social media content for your contracting business, painting contractors, carpenters, electricians, any type of contractor, please check us out on Instagram at Amato Media or check us out on LinkedIn. We can definitely help you all out. So have a great day.